Are you still trying to reinvent the wheel? Tens of thousands of professionals have attempted to solve the same challenges you're dealing with right now. Some of them failed, some of them succeeded. But very few of them succeeded and captured their proven approach to share it with the world. Mike Kunkel is one of these very few. He has been an enabler for over 30 years and has captured his proven approach in an extremely successful framework called the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement. Mike and I have now translated the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement framework into a learning experience that helps a new generation of enablement teams fast-track their journey to sales enablement mastery. Our combination of group coaching sessions, actionable video lessons, materials, resources, networking opportunities and templates makes mastering sales enablement best practices faster and easier than it has ever been before. So if you want to stop reinventing the wheel, maximize business impact and fast-track your career, consider joining a growing community of enablers at the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement Learning Experience. To learn more, visit goffwd.com slash blocks. That's g-o-f-f-w-d.com slash b-l-o-c-k-s. One of the ways that enablement can have and should have and very early impact is in the feeling of safety for those acquired sales teams. It is potentially the biggest loss of productivity that I've seen. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. In the fast-moving SaaS space, mergers and acquisitions are business as usual. Our guest in today's episode has led teams through nine acquisitions over the years and will share his insights on how enablement leaders can effectively navigate the challenges and capitalize on the opportunities that come with M&As. Please welcome the executive board president of the Sales Enablement Society and the host of the Stories from the Trenches podcast, Paul Butterfield. Paul, welcome to the State of Sales Enablement. How are you today? I'm doing great, Felix. How are you? I am very well. There are... Still a few people that might not be familiar with your name, even though I'm not sure how that could be the case, considering how long you've been around for and the great work that you've been doing. And that is also very visible through your podcast stories from the trenches. But for those people that don't know you, who is Paul Butterfield? And for those that do you know you, what is a little known fact about Paul Butterfield? People may know me from a couple of different ways. The one way is I have been serving since September as the executive board president of the Sales Enablement Society. And as you mentioned, I have been hosting and producing the SES podcast for my three-year anniversary is actually next month. I have been in the enablement game for a little over 10 years now. Prior to that was in sales leadership. A little known fact about me is I have been on the set of Friends. Now, to be clear... They weren't filming at the time, but I've actually walked the set. I've been to Central Perk. I've been in the guy's apartment, the girl's apartment, all of it, when Warner Brothers was a client of mine some years ago. That's awesome. <laughs> but you didn't meet any of the actors? No, they were filming. I was on-site visit. Again, they were a client. I was on, doing an on-site visit, and the VP that was my main contact just said, hey, do you have some extra time? I'll put you on one of the VIP tours. And so they take you all on the, across the studio lots, and we saw all sorts of cool stuff. 
Well, we have to talk more about this offline because I'm a massive France fan. But oh, okay. What we're talking about today is the role of enablement in the context of mergers and acquisitions. And for those people that haven't been part of the process, what is really the role of enablement in this situation? The role of enablement is to be the glue that keeps the revenue stream or pulls the revenue streams together. So I've been through nine acquisitions. And to be fair, I was always on the acquiring side, which does change it a bit. But the biggest challenge that enablement should be aware of is what are we doing to avoid as much as possible any disruption of the revenue from the company that's being acquired, but just as high a risk is disrupting things at the company where we're already doing our enablement work. So in that situation, the announcement is being made and you embark on that journey. What are the key challenges and opportunities for the sales enablement function during that process? One of the challenges is not being involved soon enough. There's a lot that goes into being seen as a strategic enablement leader and a strategic enablement function. We won't get into all of that here, but one more reason why that's so critical is when you're seen as a member of the strategy team, or at least a peer, you're going to hear about these things sooner and you really need to. Now, you don't enablement does not need to be in the room when the final due diligence is happening and that sort of thing, but they do need to be aware pretty quickly when that due diligence is finished, that something's coming. I've seen a couple of different companies I've worked had different ways of dealing with that. The most typical was anyone internally involved with the project completed an NDA, and then you were able to freely talk about it within meetings. But really push for that because the downside, if that doesn't happen, is you don't have time to react. And the onboarding needs of these folks that are coming across, understanding the go-to-market motions that are happening, you know, post-acquisition, you don't have time to figure them out quickly enough if you're not advised early. And like I say, in my experience, right around the time that due diligence gets a thumbs up is an ideal time. You mentioned the difference between acquiring and being acquired. Mm -hmm. The bigger disruption I assume, would be happening on the side of the company that is being acquired most of the time. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the sales effectiveness on that side, how do you make sure that the acquired company's sales effectiveness doesn't suffer during the integration process? Like, What are some of the things that you have seen working and some of the approaches that others can follow that might be in a situation like that? The first thing that needs to be defined and understood by the enablement team, the definition is going to come from the leadership team. What's the go-to-market motion? There's different ways that sales teams come together in these environments. There's the scenario where they let them stand alone for maybe a year. Same sales leadership, they're still selling just the products that they know, and really the enablement is along the lines of onboarding them as new employees of the company and helping them know how to talk at a high level about the products that the company already sells, but they're being left alone and so you can develop them, help them develop a little more slowly. I've only seen that happen a couple of times. More often than not, everyone's excited about the opportunity for cross-selling and the idea is to integrate the teams as quickly as possible. One of the ways that enablement can have and should have and very early impact is in the feeling of safety for those acquired sales teams. It is potentially the biggest loss of productivity that I've seen, not just in sales. Any team that's being acquired, any company being acquired, people get nervous, they start looking for jobs and you know you just lose a lot of good talented people. But we have found that as an enablement team, if we've got a really solid onboarding program, we have something that has been tailored for the needs of these folks that 
that can go a long way right there in helping them have a successful transition. They know they're not going to be thrown to the wolves and asked to figure things out for themselves. They understand there's a world-class onboarding experience waiting for them, and they understand that this new company that they're becoming part of is vested in their success and takes it very seriously. So it starts with that. The challenge in onboarding, as opposed to your typical onboarding scenarios, they already have a book of business. They have a funnel, they have meetings, they have all of these things going on. And I have found that we typically are doing more asynchronous. You should plan on doing more asynchronous types of training that they can do around their schedules and around the business that they have. There are still a couple of things that, in my experience, they'll need to do a stand and deliver, pitch, demo, things like that. And so we need to be conscious of their time that way, but build in a way that you can track it, you can measure it, but that they can self-serve and work around their day. We can't put them in class for two weeks. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Still have a quarter to hit, which was the reason why they were required in the first place, I guess. Right. That's right. Right. So... In terms of the existing enablement setup that might be there in those acquired companies, like how much time would you spend actually exploring the current setup, you know, and analyzing that and see where your approach would fit in versus just knowing what you know and applying your approach to those new teams? One of the biggest challenges that can happen is do they have a sales methodology or a sales go-to-market playbook that is quite a bit different. Understanding that. And then once you understand, is there a potential clash of cultures, for lack of a better term, there, then that's one of those times you really need to bring back in those stakeholders on the sales side and understand from their perspective, right? Make sure they're aware of this. They may or may not be. I've actually seen that, Felix, where, you know, on enablement, we're seeing things that have not been identified at the different levels that the organization is looking at. And once you've identified that, and you have a decision on how are we going to bring them across, it's finding a way to take what you're doing and a methodology that you're doing, and in this case, and find those connecting points for them. Here's the reality. I don't think there's any one best sales methodology. There's a couple I've used and seen great success with. All of us have had that experience. However, at some point, they all are trying to achieve the same thing, at least a good methodology. And so enablement can start to make some connection points and make it easy for these folks as they're coming over. What we've done is created a translation guide. And so that sales stages that they have, how do those correspond to the sales stages we have? And again, it's a resource that we create that's there for them as a reference guide to make it really easy. When it comes to educating them on our products, and I would say that if you're the company that's doing the acquiring and you're trying to do that education, again, be conscious of the fact that they don't need to hear about all the features. I don't think product training should ever be too feature heavy anyway, but when someone's coming over and they've got to pick it up quickly, it's even more critical that they understand what are the use cases, who are their personas, what do they care about, and start to enable them to be comfortable in conversation while they're still learning and making transition, they may be a little more over-reliant on an SE than they will be later, but we can take them a long way by creating those guides and those playbooks to help them make the translation. I love that. I think that's probably also an opportunity, right, that lies within those acquisitions that if the only common denominator is the customer, which is likely the case if companies merge or companies are acquired, then that's an opportunity to become more customer-centric because that's a common denominator between those sales teams, right? And it's probably also, if the communication has been very feature-heavy, to then 
take stock and say, okay, how does that translate to the world of our customers for those two products? So yeah, that's a really interesting point that you made there. Also, in terms of the stakeholder groups within that company that's being acquired, and you mentioned before, there is a risk that people instantly start looking for jobs mm -hmm. and might be considering leaving. Which sort of roles are most at risk and where that risk needs to be mitigated? Are those the sales reps? Are those the sales managers? Is that the previous sales leadership? That's a really good question. I'm going to say that it's high performers in any of those groups because the reality is a successful salesperson, a successful sales leader can go find a job. No problem. And what you don't want to have, and because this is another scenario that can play out, is those that can go and find something else easily do. And we are left with is those that couldn't find something else easily. And performance may not always be the reason, but in my experience, it's probably a big part of it. And so then you've got an organization that's worse off than it was. Sales leaders And when people talk about sales leader enablement, I don't know if they always take this one into account. What is it that you're going to do to bring across a VP of sales or a director who's over the mid-market AEs differently than you're doing for their teams? They have a whole different ecosystem they need to plug into. They have introductions and one-on-ones that they need to have facilitated for them. And so being thoughtful and having a very specific roadmap for who they need to meet with, the skills, the knowledge, the things they need, the relationships they need, and having that mapped out and communicated to them. Sometimes it's tricky because depending on how the acquisition is going, there may, no contact may be allowed prior to the actual signing of the agreement. But even with that, you should have welcome letters, communications from the enablement team out to any of the teams they support. My teams have typically also onboarded in acquisitions, services, and customer success teams and the like. And same thing, have something prepared and communicate, over-communicate to them and help them feel welcomed, help them feel that we're there and very much wanting to see them successful. And we're prepared to back that up. But yeah, that's what I say though, high performers, you got to always take care of those high performers. That's right. And in terms of the communication that you just mentioned, are there any tips that you can give to make sure that there's no hostility or no us versus them thinking? Like, how do you bridge that gap and really make sure that they feel like they're part of the team? Every sales leader, senior sales leader, whether CSO, CRO, EVP sales, et cetera, they have different personality. But one thing I've noticed in common is in generally, they're pretty good with people. And I have found that one of the first and most critical things you can do is to get these new folks in front of their new, most senior leader as soon as you can. Yes, the CEO will likely do, you know, an all hands and welcome everybody in mass, but get them in front of that CRO and have that person spend some time talking about the program, talking about themselves, humanizing themselves, and just doing everything they can to make these folks feel welcome. It's one thing, and there's a lot of other things you need to be doing, but it's something that I have seen get missed, again, in all of the excitement and all of the confusion of an acquisition, that it can just be forgotten. And so make sure that they're getting connected quickly to those senior leaders in whatever way is most appropriate. The other thing that I have found is critical is if there's not a formal connection to HR, in other words, I often see a committee, an integration committee will be formed. And sales enablement should be on that. HR is usually another partner. So whether you're on a committee formally or you have to go make the bridge yourself, work very closely with them. 
because you want to make sure that the communication timing is correct. In other words, we don't want to be reaching out as an enablement team before they've received certain critical communications from HR. And they also will have a lot of insights that you'll find very helpful in the average seniority of the employees coming over, some things like that that you can take into account with your enablement. So beyond that, in terms of communication and communication channels that you have to establish to effectively navigate that change, sales, obviously, and the sales reps, sales management is obviously one stakeholder group, but then the other stakeholder groups that would be typically impacted by mergers and acquisitions are other internal teams that might be sales adjacent, mm -hmm. and then also the external customers and partners collaborating with the company that has been acquired. How is sales enablement or how is enablement in general involved in managing those communication streams? And are there any tips you can share to successfully navigate those communication channels? Ideally, the company has formed a committee similar to what I just described, integration management office or something like that, because those sorts of coordination that you're describing can be really difficult. I've done it both ways. And it becomes a lot harder if there's not a core group that's managing it and using project tracking and that sort of thing. But regardless, let's start with the one you mentioned about communicating to customers. In my experience, at least, enablement's not really doing a lot of the direct communication, probably none of the direct communication to customers. However, what are we teaching our salespeople who do talk to the customers? How do we make sure that when this acquisition goes live and the next discovery meeting, and it's announced in the press, and the next discovery meeting an AE or an enterprise rep has, someone says, hey, I just saw in the news that blah, 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 that they don't sit there with nothing to say. <laughs> That's right. That's the customer communication where I've seen enablement really, and that is a critical role mm. that can be missed. The other piece of it is with partners. And that's a really great point that you bring up. The companies where I have led enablement, we did have partner enablement as part of our mandate and providing them with that messaging. Partners, and there's a lot of different kinds of partners out there. I spent half my sales career in the channel. And I know from firsthand experience, partners can be a bit skittish. Partners also usually have a good reason to be skittish. They've likely been burned by more than one vendor in the time that they've been around. So you need to over-communicate with them as well. Make sure they have the messaging. You never want them to look dumb or like they're out of the loop with their customers and prospects. And so take what you've done for your internal salespeople, put that partner veneer on it, and have that available to them. Now, it's a little harder because they're not employees. And so in my experience, it's a lot more difficult to do anything pre-announcement for them. So you need to just have it ready and get it out there and do that communication as soon as you can after the announcement, typically the case. The other thing I was going to mention is same thing with customer success. How are they communicating out to their customers? It's going to be a variation on a message that a salesperson would have, but they need to also, what are their talking points? FAQ documents can also be incredibly valuable in these situations. And I highly recommend that that's one of the assets that you're creating and giving to the people in those different functions. What about your folks in marketing that sometimes talk to the press? Right, so you need to think broadly. And a lot of times in my experience, the communications team will take care of that, but don't assume. And let's make sure that everybody's got, like I say, the FAQs, the talking points, and the information they need so that we look good in front of our prospects or anybody that asks. Yeah, I think that salesperson being confronted by their customers and being asked what is going on, it's the stuff nightmares are made of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially if they don't have a good answer. Yeah. I think it's also important to realize that salespeople and customer success reps in those situations become both spokespeople 
for the company as well as change managers, right? Because if there's changes from a product perspective, some sort of integration happening, that might also affect the customers, right? And that poses a whole new challenge for the account managers and customer success reps. The other thing that often gets overlooked is review your assets. Things that you're using in your onboarding training, things you're using in your pitch training, demo training, a lot of times are impacted by that acquisition. And do those stories change? And do those assets need to be updated? Even little things can get you like screenshots where you've got rebranding and things that have gone on. So that's why having a really comprehensive blueprint of how you're going to do this is so critical. So would you in those scenarios conduct a full audit of any sort of content yeah. to make sure that there's no leftover logos or mentions of features that might not be relevant anymore? Ideally, with the folks on the product marketing team, which is typically where ownership of a lot of those assets comes from. The other thing that gets overlooked a lot in the acquisition cycles are that technical knowledge transfer. If you're lucky, the company being acquired has a great SE team. Those folks are typically the best point for getting that technical knowledge transfer. I've also been in situations where we purchased companies that were smaller that did not have an SE team. And we needed to identify someone typically on the product team that was going to have the responsibility to come and think about it. It's essentially train the trainer for your sales engineers. If you've got sales engineers coming from the other company, they need to be enabled going in the other direction as well. In fact, I feel so strongly about the SE component of it that my recommendation for best practices, a SE leader, VP of engineering or similar should be part of the integration committee or group, because again, they're looking at things that no one else is going to look at, including the demos. Probably the biggest one is how do we integrate the demos? You mentioned that integration committee, which is obviously that steering committee, so to speak, of navigating that communication. You mentioned initial welcome messages to the sales team. You mentioned the onboarding of a new sales team. You mentioned that FAQ document and those talking points that sales reps can use. Are there any other communication channels or vehicles that we should be aware of throughout this entire process? The other dynamic is, is their enablement team? Is the company that being acquired, are there folks there doing enablement? In my experience, that's only been the case a few of the times. I think I've done nine acquisitions now that I've led enablement through. And in three of those cases, there were enablement folks that were coming over. So you got a couple of things to think about there. First of all, they're an amazing asset because you can find out very quickly how have things been being done when you have those questions about enablement. So Paul, it's obviously always more tangible for listeners if they can actually reference what you just said, especially if they haven't had an experience to a success story. Are there any case studies or specifics you can share about a acquisition that you've been involved in in the past and what that looked like? Sure. I'll call it a success story overall. It doesn't mean, though, that there weren't mistakes made. It doesn't mean that there weren't messy parts to it. It's kind of that fog of war. You have these plans, and then the acquisition starts. And there's always things that you don't anticipate. So you do your best. And I think it's probably okay to use company names because it's far enough in the past. But when I was at Vonage, we acquired a rather, it was, in fact, it was the largest acquisition that I think I've done to date. I think we paid almost about 500, 450 to 500 million for this company. They were a contact center as a service firm based out of the UK. So we acquired them because prior to that, we were partnering with contact center as a service companies. Now we wanted to be our own and have our own solution. So some of the challenges there, a sales organization of a couple hundred people, they had an enablement team. 
They were headquartered out of Basingstoke, UK, England. Although they had a presence in San Francisco, a lot of the folks were in different time zones from most of the enablement team. And they were using their own version of Salesforce, and they were using a different sales methodology. So they happened to be a winning by design shop, which I have a lot of respect for, but it didn't happen to be. We were using customer-centric selling at Vonage, and it was ingrained pretty deeply. So there were a few things that we did that I would point to as success. One is working with the enablement team that were coming over. And by the way, they were both based in the UK. And that was my first introduction to the fact that you don't have to come from sales to be really, really good in enablement. I'll admit that was a bias that I had probably about up to that point. Because I just felt like if you hadn't lived the sales life, it's really difficult to relate to sellers. But in this case, neither of them had sold and they were amazing. So we worked with them to, again, map out what is there in winning by design that overlaps with the methodology that we had. What is the timeline? Eventually, we do need them using our methodology, but how are we going to do that in a reasonable way? And what is that timeline and communicating that? Having that special onboarding sessions that I talked about. So there's not, I'm trying to think of anything. I mean, I've been talking about a lot of the elements that go into a successful acquisition playbook, and we executed on those pretty well. We figured out what the go-to-market part was. And in this case, they were going to be selling their own product, the traditional Vonage Unified communication sellers can keep selling their own product, but they needed to be identifying opportunities for one another. And so we built the training plan around that so that you never want to overload sellers with more than they need. And so we built the plan around that. How do we equip them with enough to be able to identify opportunities, pass them over the wall, and have a successful transition? Now, I wish I could tell you everything went swimmingly. I'm calling it a success story because for as many moving parts there were, it was. The things we planned, we executed, it worked well. However, the two instances of Salesforce did not play well together. And that wasn't anybody's fault. It's just one of those things. And so we also had to adapt and overcome. So I just talked about this whole cross-selling motion. When you're stuck in two different Salesforce silos, it makes passing leads a lot more difficult. But we found a way. That's when I look back on and I felt like we identified the components that you and I have been talking about and we executed on them. We had minimal loss of talent coming over from the sales side. The SDRs, SEs, we really were able to retain most of them, which was helpful. I also got to work with a whole new set of people and learn myself, which is always good. Excellent. Sounds like a massive project, and I can only attest to the <laughs> CRM issues. Those never end, right? Mm -mm. No. Fields don't map like they should. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as there are CRMs, I think those issues will occur. But I'd be remiss without calling out the efforts of the folks that were on the enablement team with me at the time, because it really was a team effort. So I don't want to take too much credit there because it took a lot of work for a lot of people. So if you had to summarize the contributing factors that made any sort of acquisition or merger a success in the past for you as a sales enablement leader, what would be the things you would want to share with our listeners to consider to make any of those situations a success? Get involved or get briefed is maybe a better way to put it as early as possible. And the way to do that is have a business case prepared for your executives on the benefits to why the acquisition would be more successful with your earlier involvement. Can't overstress that. Doesn't mean you can't adapt later, but get involved early. And as soon as you know there's going to be an acquisition, put your business case together. That's what they care about. How are you going to keep the revenue stream from being disrupted? Here's how, but I need to be involved at this level to do that. The next thing is be very clear on what that go-to-market motion is going to look like. Sometimes that can be tricky 
because I've seen it in flux up until very, very close to when people are going to start showing up. But nonetheless, you've got to roll with that and you've got to build your plan around it and you've got to be adaptable. And I would say the last piece of that is to plan on being adaptable because the best laid plans are going to get blown up somehow and over communicate, over communicate with your stakeholders on both sides, over communicate with the people you're supporting. Those are probably the biggest things I would keep in mind. Paul, I've learned a lot and it's always great to hear from somebody who has actually done it several times. So thank you so much for sharing your insights. If people want to connect with you and also if they want to listen to your podcast, where can they do that? I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Always happy to hear from folks on there. And the podcast is Stories from the Trenches. Most of our listeners come from Apple, but we're also on Google and Spotify. Pretty easy to find. And we come out twice a month, first and third Tuesdays of each month. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. Next time on The State of Sales Enablement. Hi, this is Felix Kruger. And Devin McDermott. Sales enablement is one of the fastest growing business trends globally, and it's hard to keep up with all the information that's out there. That's why Felix and I have teamed up to curate the latest industry news, expert insights, research reports, and social media buzz for you. If you want to be in the know and operate on the cutting edge of sales enablement, this month in sales enablement has you covered. Visit thestateofsalesenablement.com to register for the live stream or subscribe to the State of Sales Enablement on all major podcast platforms. Considering the recent budget cuts in the enablement space, it is no surprise that in a recent LinkedIn poll, 56% of enablers stated that they plan to increase their ability to create business impact in 2023. I've teamed up with sales enablement legend Mike Kunkel to create a webinar that outlines proven approaches to maximizing enablement's business impact. To watch the seven steps to maximizing enablement's business impact, visit goffwd.com impact. That's goffwd.com slash I-M-P-A-C-T.